I'm going to ask you to find two places in your Bible tonight. We're going to get to them eventually. 1 Kings chapter 17 and 2 Timothy chapter 1. There was a Hollywood cocktail party. The guests were arriving, mingling with other guests, exchanging stories. And they had all the typical Hollywood stories, but there was one woman that caught everybody's attention. In fact, she was sort of the, the highlight of the evening because her story was so amazing. She had been married and divorced three times and was presently married to her fourth husband. Her first husband was, being in Hollywood, a millionaire. She divorced him and married a local actor from Hollywood. That was husband number two. They divorced. Third husband was a minister of a local church. She divorced him, and now she was on her fourth husband, a funeral director. And so people, just out of curiosity, said, now why did you marry those professions? She said, easy. I married number one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four, the funeral director, to go. Now, that's just a story, but unfortunately there's a lot of truth behind lots of other stories that are like that one, where in the wake of such behavior are devastated children, angry and sometimes bitter adults, and plenty of hurt. So far, in this series called The House That God Builds, we've spent several weeks in it, by the way, we've sort of dealt with just the ideal family, God's pattern. One man, one woman, one lifetime. We've looked at God's pattern from the beginning. We've discussed the roles in that family of husband, wife, children, raising children by parents. But there is a segment that is a growing and large segment of our population that we haven't dealt with and we're going to tonight. It's the single parent. Now, parenting is hard enough for two people. Imagine what it's like as a solo endeavor. All of those responsibilities, trying to assume basically two roles father and a mother, while at the same time dealing with the grief, the loss, the rejection, sometimes from church people, as well as family members. The loneliness, the guilt, the fear that comes along with that. Some of us, frankly, have no idea. I found a want ad, so to speak. At least this was an illustration couched in the language of a want ad. Position vacant, parent. And there's four uh, areas in this one ad, job description, responsibilities, possibility for advancement and promotion, and wages and compensation. Listen to it. Job description, long-term work in chaotic environment. Candidates must be willing to work various hours, including evenings, weekends, and sometimes 24-hour shifts. Some overnight travel is required, including primitive camping sites and endless sports tournaments in faraway cities. Travel expenses not reimbursed. Extensive courier duties also required. 
responsibilities, must be willing to be hated, at least temporarily, until somebody needs $5 to go skating. Must be willing to bite tongue repeatedly. Also must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule. Must be willing to face technical challenges, like small gadget repair, mysteriously sluggish toilets, and stuck zippers. Must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, coordinate production of multiple homework projects. Must handle assembly and product safety testing of a half a million cheap plastic toys and battery-operated devices. Responsibilities also include floor maintenance, janitorial work throughout the facility. Possibility for advancement and promotion? Virtually none. Your job is to remain in the same position for years without complaining, constantly retaining and updating your skills. Wages and compensation? You pay them. <laughs> Offering frequent raises and bonuses. A balloon payment is due when they turn 18 because of the assumption that college will help them become financially independent. When you die... You give them whatever's left. That's the deal. Now imagine doing all of that alone, without the help of somebody else. And we're going to consider that role tonight, and what the church can do to help that role. Now, I've had you turn to two passages of Scripture, which we're going to get to, but they're sort of a, an umbrella text. We're going to refer to it. It's a great one, especially when you speak about single parenting. It's in Psalm 68, where God is described, as we've already seen in this video, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Now, you probably just found it, and I'm done with it. Psalm 68. Tonight I want to look at three things. The culture that's around us. The caretaker, that's the role of a single parent. And then the church. It is the phenomenon of the culture. This new phenomenon that has created this new role. This new function of being a single parent. Now, we've always had, by the way, single parents. It's nothing new in and of itself. There's always been... Uh, spouses who have died leaving the children with the other spouse. There has always been divorce in every culture eventually. But what is new is the extent to which single parenting has arisen these days. Now I've done this before and I want to do it again tonight. Is to compare two cultures. The, the culture of the Bible at least pre and, and New Testament setting. The Greco-Roman culture and the modern culture because they are strikingly similar in just the way they pan out, they flow, and how they look in this area. I found it interesting in going back that for the first 520 years of Roman culture, there is not one single recorded incidence of a divorce. Now, we don't know if that's accurate, we don't know if they were covering it up, but at least what is recorded for the first 520 years is not a single recorded instance of divorce. And the first divorce that we see in Roman annals on record 
was a guy by the name of Spurius Ruga. In 234 B.C., divorced his wife because she could not produce offspring. That was the grounds for divorce. And after that year, 234 B.C., we see a huge rise in the divorce rate in the Roman Empire. Why the change? Well, there's many factors. One of the big factors is that the Romans conquered the Greeks. The Greeks were very immoral, generally. And so the new culture adopted the old culture values, permeated the new culture of the Roman Empire. It got so bad that according to one historian, he tells of a woman who identified the years of her life by the names of her husbands. There were that many. There was a Roman jest at the time that said, marriage brings only two happy days. First, when the husband clasps his wife to his breast, and the day second, when he lays her in the grave. Now that kind of a setup produced many single-parent families eventually in the Roman Empire. Something else occurred. During the first century A.D., there was quite a bit of civil war activity in the Roman Empire which caused the death of many husbands, the rise of many widows, and few men who were eligible to be remarriage partners in a second marriage to raise the children. Um, On top of that, kids were regarded as legally free once the dad was out of the picture. If you remember, I mentioned it twice. There was a Roman law called the patria potestas, or the absolute dictatorial authority of a father over his children, his family. Well, once the father was gone, those children were regarded as legally free of any control, much like emancipated slaves. So all of those factors put together caused a huge rate in single-parent families in the latter part of the Roman Empire. It could be that Timothy, and we're going to get to his story in 2 Timothy 1, that Timothy had this issue. He was from this background. It could be that his father left and that he was technically free and was raised spiritually by his mother. So factors like divorce, war, adultery, plus something we didn't mention and we can't because of the time, is there was a a fueling of a feminist movement at the latter part of the Roman Empire. All of that created an unstable environment for children. Now, let's move to today's culture. And I'm going to rattle off to you, unfortunately, statistics. And here's the bad thing about statistics. You can detach from them. They're just numbers. I want you to try, as best as you can, to get behind the pathos of these numbers, the emotion that's behind them. Here they are. From 1960 to 1990, the increase in America of single-parent families it has arisen 215%. That's from 60 to 90. Since 90 up till today, add another 13% increase to that. Now, there's several factors for our single-parent situation in America. You already know what they are. Divorce rate and the rate of children being born out of wedlock. We've talked about divorce on a number of occasions. The chances of a divorce are one out of two. Unfortunately, that's inside as well as outside the church. According to the U.S. Census, the Bureau Census, 
Two and a half million divorces happen every year in our country. Two and a half million. According to the distinguished historian Lawrence Stone, quote, the scale of marital breakdown in the West since 1960 has no historical precedent. Did you hear that? That's quite a statement. The marital breakdown in the West since 1960 has no historical precedent. We're worse than the Romans, he's saying. Then there's births out of marriage. Those have increased 450% since 1960 to 1990, in that 30-year stretch. Add another 19% for the last decade up till today. So, here's the long and short of it. That means that tonight, in America, there are 11.9 million single parents in our country. That means that 28% of all of the children in America, some 20 million under the age of 18, are being raised by a single parent. That happens to be three times the amount of single parent families in 1960, which was 9%. That's where we are. Now, some single parents are moms, some are dads. Some have had a spouse die, some have been divorced from their spouses. All of them have the same thing in common. They alone, by themselves, are raising those children. Something else to note. In the last three years, the number of single mothers in our country have not increased substantially in percentage. It's about 9.8 million single moms. There hasn't been a substantial increase of moms. There has, in the last three years, though, been a 25% increase in single dads in our country. So that one-sixth of all single parents in America are dads. That's a new phenomenon. In other words, what they're telling us is there's more women There used to be more men, but there's an increase of women walking out of relationships, leaving even the children. There's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 49. I'm going to read it to you. Because the people in Israel were saying at the time, God has forsaken us. God has forgotten all about us. This wonderful Father in heaven has left us. We're toast. Doesn't really say that, but says something close to that. And God responds, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she has born? Even if these forget, yet not I will forget. In other words, God uses what we would typically see as absolutely unthinkable. A mother walking away from her children... Can a mother, God says, forget her nursing child? I wish I could say no. But that unthinkable is happening more and more. Now we should also just mention that in all of that, there's some great people that are raised by single parents. Great ones. Sir Isaac Newton, the mathematician and scientist, was raised by a single mother. Economist Alan Greenspan, child raised in a single-parent family. Baseball player Ricky Henderson, actor Tom Cruise, all have one thing in common, single-parent families. But 
Having said that, what many of us in nuclear families, two-parent families, don't see is all of the emotional pain behind the scenes of all that. You know, we might flippantly say, yeah, but look, some great people have come out of it. But tonight, just get behind the pain a little bit more and the understanding of the issue. You see, single parents listening understand the issue. Others of us don't. So I want to give you the testimony of a woman by the name of Christine Wood. And she says, My last childhood memory of my father was seeing him handcuffed and led away by the police. I was eight years old. This traumatic event thrust me and my three siblings into the care of our alcoholic mother. The only roof she could put over our heads was the basement ceiling of our grandparents' home. Despite feelings of inadequacy and loneliness, she tried hard to raise her children as a single parent, managing to stay sober. But after ten years of sobriety, she was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Now, not all stories are like that. Here's a more typical one. Lydia, a never-married mother of an eight-year-old girl, daughter named Carla, gets asked these questions, she says, perpetually. Do you love Daddy? Why doesn't Daddy ever call? Doesn't Daddy love me? Mommy, can I search for Daddy someday? Susan Wilkinson writes these words, My children's prayers once resonated with faith and innocence until their father became ill and died. Then their prayers changed. No longer did their words reflect belief that God is great and God is good. They were more like, if God is great, couldn't he have healed Daddy? If God is good, wouldn't he have healed Daddy? That's reality. We are told that the steps a child goes through when there is an absent parent by death or by divorce, abandonment, is very similar to the experiences any one of us would go through when somebody dies who's been very close to us. The same steps Elizabeth Kubler-Ross once edited out as typical responses are responses for children. Shock, despair, Depression, anger, fear of rejection are all emotions that must be listened to by very lonely parents who themselves have been rejected or left or have had somebody die. It's probably safe to say that at least by and large, single parents are the most hurting, often lonely people in any congregation. Now we're going to consider what to do about that. We're going to actually see it in the text, but I want you to look at two examples from the Bible of single parents, one in the Old, one in the New Testament. First is a widow, and the second is Timothy's mother and grandmother. First Kings chapter 17 is a widow in a town called Zarephath. Now, the death of her husband thrusts her into a brand new function. She is now a single mother. Let me tell you what's going on. The prophet Elijah has just declared, if you can do that, a drought. It worked, by the way. He declared a drought. It didn't rain a drop for three, three and a half years in Israel, which brought a famine into the land. Now, why did this happen? Because the king of Israel, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel worshipped 
a Phoenician god by the name of Baal, who was the sun god and the rain god. What better judgment than to actually stop the rain because they thought that's the only one that can give the rain, so in judgment, stop it. All your prayers are useless. You'll finally see that God is the Lord. So that happened, but everybody suffered because of it. Elijah was sent by God to a little town just nine miles south of present-day Sidon on the Mediterranean coast, the town of Zarephath, a Phoenician town, to a widow of all people, a single mom. Verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, this is strange. Because widows, especially in those days, were very poor and the first ones to starve and suffer during a famine would be widows. So God sends him to a widow? Look at verse 10. So he arose. He went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Common courtesy, common request. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Notice that, the Lord your God. I don't know where she stood with God at this point. I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did accordingly to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah." There's something I, I discovered in searching and sifting through all the commentators in this passage. Almost all the commentators make a huge issue about how Elijah's faith was being tested. What about the widow's faith being tested? Here's a prophet comes to town and makes all these demands. Give me water. Give me food. Make me something first. Talk about being tested. Her faith seemingly already depleted. Her faith was definitely being tested. But it brings up an issue. The issue is this. Single parents, especially moms, are often exhausted and depleted. It's true. They spend up all their energy and their time and their worries and their resources. And they're in a depleted condition. But it brings up another issue. And that is the need for single parents not to remain self-focused. Not to remain self-focused. Elijah's requests sound demanding, but he is helping this woman understand that there are other people experiencing a famine and other people having needs. 
And that might sound cold, but it is not. I visited a uh, girl some years ago in the lockdown ward at one of the hospitals for psychiatric uh, problems. She tried to commit suicide. She was in deep depression. We had a long talk, and it was a very wonderful talk. And at the end, I turned to her and I said, You know, God has a huge thing in store for you in your life. She goes, What do you mean? I said, God has a job for you to do. She goes, A job for me? I can't do anything. I said, Oh, yeah, you can. She goes, I can't even get out of bed in the morning. I said, Yeah, but you will someday. You'll, you'll be able to do it soon. And I gave her a task to do, a spiritual bit of homework. And she looked at me like, I could never do that. I said, do it. God has a job for you to do. She came to me two weeks later at a church service. She said, thank you. It gave me a sense of purpose, realizing God in heaven wanted me to do something. I was looking only at myself and drowning in that. I needed my eyes to be lifted to other people's needs. Elijah does that. Look at verse 17. Let's finish this story. It goes from bad to worse, unfortunately. And it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? He's getting blamed. He said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. There he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? He's complaining to God. And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Now the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Her treasure, the one thing left, her son, after being widowed and having a famine, now he's dead. And and she's, quite frankly, angry at God and gets angry at God's representative, which, by the way, is typical. If you want to get into the ministry, expect this. I find the people who have no problem with God usually have no problem with me. People mad at God somehow like to get mad at me. They're angry about God. Why would God? And they'll say, I'm I'm mad at you. And I understand that's just part of the task. You know, I work for God, so i got to take the rap for God. That's how they view it. What is interesting to note, by the way, is that Elijah doesn't defend himself, doesn't even defend God. He just listens to her. Goes in and pours out his complaint before the Lord. There's a couple of things before we move on to Timothy I want you to note here. Elijah's presence in this woman's life did two things. His coming to Zarephath, his entering into the widow's life, did number one, brought a God focus into her life. We're going to die. No, you're not. Here's the promise of the Lord. That provision isn't going to dry up until rain comes. And it happened. 
brought healing to the son after the death. It brought a God focus. It caused this single woman to focus on God once again and his provision. Dennis Rainey, who has written a book on single parenting, said, quote, I encourage single parents to stay focused first and have their hope in God. He says, I always talk about unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. He says, single parents may be more aware of their need for God's sustaining guidance than those in two-parent families. Second, single parents need to pursue a relationship with a fellow burden bearer, someone who can support them in their struggles and raising children. And Elijah provided that. He he bore the burden, bringing a God focus into her life. The second thing he did is provide, at least for a period of time while he was lodging at that house, masculine influence, a role model. Let's call it a mentor. That's the catchword today. A mentor, a male influence, a role model for her son. And mentoring from godly adults can go a long way and make a great impact in the lives of children and single-parent families. Catherine Marshall was the wife of Peter Marshall, who was once the chaplain for the United States Senate. He died while the family was still in their young stages, leaving Catherine to raise the children all by herself. And Catherine said, as a single mom, it takes a great deal of masculine companionship to make up for a father's steady presence in the everydayness of life. You know, there's a group in Pittsburgh I read about this week headed by a guy by the name of Gil Duncan, who has a group that he calls Brothers Keepers. It is a mentoring program to take kids in the community whose fathers have left either by death or abandonment from age 8 to 18 and get into their lives and mentor them, help them. Elijah provided those two elements for this widow and her son. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. New Testament example, fine one, Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Grace, mercy, peace from God our Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience and As my forefathers did, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and am persuaded is also in you, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, it seems, was raised in a single parent family by his mother and also an extended part of that, his grandmother. Acts chapter 16, you don't have to turn to it, but that's the story of how it all happened. On Paul's second missionary journey, he uses, well, he puts Timothy on staff. It would seem that Timothy's family, at least mom and grandma, came to faith in Christ a couple chapters back, his first missionary journey. Paul goes through Asia Minor, stops off in Lystra, gets stoned, not metaphorically, but literally stoned, 
to the point of death, gets back up, goes back into Lystra. This made a huge impact on the town. Mom and grandma get saved. And eventually Timothy does. He becomes so mature that he joins Paul's staff. Now in Acts 16, here's the description of him. He was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a geek. I mean a Greek, it says. Excuse me. His father was a Greek. Now, we don't know what happened to him. Two things. Either he died or, as was common, he left the family when they believed. He abandoned the family. Anyway, he was raised by a single mom and a grandma whose faith is remarked about. They made a great influence in a great man of God. Their influence went a long way in this guy's ministry. Can't forget that. Now, though Timothy's dad is not mentioned here, I would call it there is a polite absence of his name when he writes this story. Ma is mentioned. Grandma is mentioned. Dad is not mentioned because the focus is on mom's faith. And I want to make this point based on that. Author and counselor John Trent, who was raised by a mother without a father, father walked out of the family, said, I admired my mother because she never badmouthed her ex-husband in front of us. She never criticized him. She told us the facts of what happened, but she let us make our own conclusions based upon our own observations and didn't enter into what is so tempting to do to badmouth, out of hurt, the spouse who has left. A couple of things to notice here before we end. Number one, the presence, the influence of one parent, one parent, is significant. I know the ideal is two, but God can make one go a long way further than you might think. And here, Timothy's grandmother and mother in the same home, that's like stereo evangelism, I guess, huh? Stereo Bible study. Both of them building up this child. There is nothing like the influence of a godly mom. I know. I have one. I had a mother and a father, but my dad was a very busy guy who was out a lot of the time, leaving her most of the time to raise us. She was a godly gal. Still is. In fact, she's listening right now. Some years ago, we were sitting around the table, I think it was, and Nathan, as a young kid, leaned over to me. He goes, you know, Dad, godliness with contentment is great gain. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Now, where'd you learn that? And he goes, Mom. In other words, not from you, but from Mom. And he gave me his counsel. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Some of the most outstanding kids in our youth group come from single-parent families where a parent loves the Lord and influences that son or daughter in the ways of the faith. And happy is that child who has even one parent doing that. If you're a single parent, I just want to say to you that God has a special interest in you. He has a special interest in you. That's why he is called in Psalm 68 once again, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. Second thing to note about Timothy is the influence of a spiritual mentor, not only a single parent who loved the Lord and a grandmother, but a mentor. Verse 1, 
he says, verse 2, excuse me, to Timothy, a beloved, what? Son. Now, he wasn't his son, but spiritually he was his son. Emotionally, he took him on as his son. He loved him so much, Paul eventually said, I have no man like-minded as Timothy, who will naturally care for your state. Isopsukas is the Greek word, like-souled. We are, we track together. He is like a son to me. Became a mentor to him. Same kind of principles. Now I want to close with the third element of this study, and that is the church, a new family. I read something out of a magazine this week called Single Parent Family Magazine. This is what it said. This is for us tonight, all of us tonight as a church. A century ago, there were almost an equal percentage of single parents. But then it was due to desertion or death as opposed to divorce and never married situations. But what they had in those days that we don't have in these days was extended families. In other words, there was a sense of community a hundred years ago. People didn't run around the country much. It wasn't a mobile culture like we are. So you'd live in a community, you'd have mom and grandma and aunts and uncles and cousins. Everybody would be around so that if there was an absent parent, an uncle, an aunt could step in and help out. So, since we have a mobile culture today, what group is it that ought to assume the role of the family? It is the church. God sets the solitary in families. And that is the role of the church. How? Let me give you three ways. Three things. And this would be good if you're not a single parent to write down. Number one, assistance. Assistance. Mowing a lawn, fixing a car, helping with tax returns at the end of that fiscal year, washing dishes, babysitting, fixing appliances, that's assistance. How can I help? Tangibly, physically. Number two, availability. Now, you know what I mean by availability? Think of a single parent. You know what they could use? Adult conversation. You laugh, but it's true. I just want to talk to an adult. I want somebody who will listen to me as an adult for, for just a change, for just a while. I want somebody who will laugh with me, cry with me, relax with me. And in that setting, you could provide good, solid, biblical counsel on very important issues like love, forgiveness, especially in dealing with the ex, guidance on future relationships. How about stuff like re-entering the job market? And that is such a huge barrier for so many, especially single moms. And Dick Purnell, ministers to singles around the country, gives us this advice. One of the greatest things you could do for single parents is to help a single woman know how to raise a boy. She writes to men. You could help single moms in showing them how to raise a boy and how a single father can raise a girl. They could use that help. Number three, mentoring. Mentoring. Assistance, availability, mentoring. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. The widow of Zarephath's son was... being role modeled, at least, temporarily by Elisha. You know, sometimes kids will respond better when they hear the truth, not from a parent, but from somebody else. Single parents are tired. 
They're exhausted. They have depleted their resources. Their energy is low. And besides, besides, single parents often have a tendency to become best pals to that child. It's called enmeshing. It's unhealthy over a period of time. It's good to be friends, but you're a parent versus a child. But because of the loss, you seek to bring in that soulmate in the form of a child. It can be unhealthy. You can help by providing help for the children, counseling for the children. They need other friendships, maybe even your children. There was a time that a mother was delivering her second child. She was pregnant. She called the doctor. The doctor said, come right in. She told her young son, who was there with the babysitter, I'm going to the hospital. Mommy's going to have a, another baby. And she's leaving the door. Six-year-old Tad, was his name, offered this part of was this parting wisdom. He said, now, Mom, when you have that baby, be sure and get a receipt. <laughs> Just in case it's a girl, you could take it back. That's how a child thinks. But you know, that's how a lot of even adults think. When it comes to marriage relationships, I'd like to take her back where I got her. I'd like to take him back where I got him. Can I just do this thing over again? Or I wish I could reverse the wheels of what has happened, and I have now this mess, this problem. I want to go back. I want to take it all back. And you can't take it all back, can you? It is what it is. Whether you're married or you're a single parent. So, God is the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows, and he sets the isolated or the lonely into families. If you would allow God, no matter where you're at, no matter what situation you're in, whether you fit into all the categories we spoke about in the last 12 weeks or you fit in this category, if you allow the Lord to do what you can't do, you do your best, you entrust the rest, and let God be that father, that mentor, that helper, and avail yourself to the body of Christ, the family of God. And if, as the family of God, we really take this to heart and not go, great, good Bible study, what's next week? But deal with those single parents. What a blessing. What a blessing the church as its design could be. Heavenly Father, we close tonight. We've covered a lot of territory, but we pray that you'd help us. Not just help single parents in their role. We ask for that. But Lord, we pray that you'd help the church assume some of these roles that are so needed. In Jesus' name, amen.